Everything's going to be all right. Good day wherever you're listening from and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio. It's Friday, June 19th, 2015. We're up to episode 373. My name is Radio Joe Hughes here with me in the studio, Studio D that is in Central City, Pennsylvania is our engineer, John, you gotta have faith. And coming to us from Studio C back in McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania is the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Hello, right. everybody. Good afternoon. Today's guest is environmental health advocate. Actually, I had a different. Let me get that one. I got it right from her, uh, from her writings. She was using. Well, I'll, I'll come up with that in a moment. But anyway, we've got Sharon Kramer. Sharon. Sharon has been our guest a couple times, and we we're so happy to bring her back. And she's got good news, which has been a long time coming. So we're, we're going to get to that in just a moment. Before we do, let's stop and thank our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, or Restoration and Abatement Contractor Shop. Visit them at johndon.com. Clean Facts, the number one information source for cleaning and restoration professionals. Check them out at cleanfactswithanx.com. IAQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at IAQ.net. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you acquire about their products or services. Okay, don't don't forget to check out the new website, IAQ Radio, IAQRadio.com. We've got the search box in there. It makes it so much easier to find old shows. Just put in Sharon Kramer and all three shows or four shows that she's done with us come up we've got cliff's expanded blog in there great resource section so check it out at iaqradio.com and of course last but not least please visit the iaq training institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com let's turn it over to the z-man for today's iaq radio trivia question thanks joe Win a cool prize by out-competing fellow IAQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ Radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is easy. Either email it to cslotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live, you can text in the answer via your computer. Congratulations. John Lapotere, MicroShield Environmental Services in Orlando, Florida, for answering our last trivia question. The IEQ Radio Trivia Question for Friday, June 19, 2015, has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Remember, Triska is your link to industry training, Certification, standards, and events. Their website is trsca.org. Now for today's IAQ radio trivia question. What do the letters A C O E M 
stand for. Back to you, Joe. All right. Thank you, Cliff. Today we've got Sharon Kramer. And, and the name, I was looking for health marketing advocate, Sharon Kramer. She has joined us before on a few shows to discuss her journey. It's been a lonely journey, but it's a, a long journey trying to fight bad science, essentially, that's been marketed as truth. She's been shaking up the community, indoor environmental and medical communities for years now, exposing how conflicts of interest and marketing ploys have been used to deny mold and damp buildings cause health problems. She started way back in 1999 even. It took about 11 years of her life to fight against any notion that water-damaged buildings are safe. And recently, that group Cliff mentioned, I'm not going to use the whole name, the ACOEM, quietly, re- well, they didn't revise it. That was a mistake in my announcement. They they just got rid of it, basically, and we'll talk to Sharon about that. There was a statement in their mold paper that uh, was fought over for years, and they basically just eliminated that. Sharon has organized many presentations over the years with Congress, with the Senate. Uh, she's been done, done, you know, help people in New Orleans. She's gotten some uh, publications in the Wall Street Journal, and, and etc., and she's just fought this tooth and nail. She even spent a couple of days in jail to uh, make sure that her point was was understood and also to make a point about uh, false science and how it became policy. So let's let's go to a little music and then bring in Sharon. Sharon, you got a husband and a family and a farm. I got the apple of temptation and a diamond sneak around my arm. your music and I've still got my eyes on the land and the sky you sing for your friends and your family I'll walk green pastures by and by I think that's Sharon's song so Sharon do we have you yes I'm here hi how are you all great it's so good to have you back it's been a little while um but you've got good news and what we I ta- do, I do. Let's, let's go right to that, and then we're going into the political history of the toxic mold issue. I messed up in my announcement. I want you to get it straight for me. What happened with this ACOEM uh, statement? What happened? Um, well, this paper first came to be in 2002. Um, the American College of Occupational and Environmental Medicine Adverse Human Health Effects from bold and indoor environment. It was a policy paper that um, influenced workers' comp claims, medical practices all across the United States, property casualty claims. um, Just, it it was horrible. And what the paper did, it said that um, what happened, two toxicologists applied math extrapolations to a single data they'd taken from a single rodent study, and they professed, based solely on these extrapolations, that they were able to prove people could never be exposed to enough toxic mold in a building to get sick. Well, that's just pure nonsense of science. And it came into policy in 2002, and it took um, 13 years to get it removed. So in February of this year, ACON finally sunset their position statement, which claims this is proven. So the reason that's so important is because 
it was a policy paper. Position statements are used to portray that it's the scientific understanding of thousands of physicians. And um, there, it's used in court to say, see, this is what thousands of physicians know to be true, so therefore it's true. So it caused a lot of problems for a lot of people, and it was just, it was fraud. It's scientific fraud, and it was marketing fraud to get that into policy. So um, Dr. Michael Hudson is the medical director of Occupational Safety and Health Administration, and he's actually been fighting this longer than I have. He spoke out before the paper was even published. Huh. And um, in, in 2001, I believe, no, maybe it was 2002, where he was questioning about, you know, you, how can you take a rat study and claim that this is proven? So um, through a lot of diligent efforts, I've been screaming about it for the whole time, but... It was actually, I, I attribute Dr. Hodson being the man who made this happen to have a concept of paper. Um, he had offered to help them rewrite a paper, and basically they kept putting him off and putting him off and putting him off, and so um, he finally was able to get word from them last October that they were intending to just sunset it. When you sunset a paper, a policy paper, that means you're no longer promoting it as current policy. So in February of this year, um, I kept checking the, their website to see what was what. And um, in February of this year, the ACOM took that paper off of their public affairs paper page. So it's no longer being publicly promoted as a policy paper. They didn't tell anybody they did it. Um, they just kind of quietly took it down. Hmm. So um, I was able to get uh, Work Comp Central. I don't know if you're familiar with them. They're a publication that they, they um, write a lot about uh, policies and workmen's compensation throughout the United States, and they give seminars. And so uh, Work work. Comp Central did an article in February, um, which it was confirmed that the ACOM mold statement is no longer up. And um, so it's gone. False concept that it's proven toxic mold does not harm is gone, removed from policy. Interesting. Now, that was very important with respect to work workers' comp claims, as I understand it. Is that pretty much the law i mean if you if it doesn't if AC, the american college of occupational and environmental medicine if it, they have a statement that says that's not you know can't be um workers comp takes that pretty seriously workers comp has used that paper i think in virtually every mold case where they tried to deny liability for the financial responsibility of injuring workers what happens is um, you know, a worker has a claim, hey, I'm sick from mold, I'm having these symptoms, which are a lot of the symptoms that we're talking about are the um, neurological ones and where they have brain fog and get numbness and basically, you know, can't function well. So what would happen is they'd file a claim and um, it would get denied and then you'd know, have to hire an attorney and, and 
sue for their compensation and then the um, insurers would have these physicians who do, they're called independent medical exams or defense medical exams. Um, a lot of times the person writing these reports never even saw the, the patient. They just write a report that says, yeah, based on the ACON mode statement, um, this person can't be sick, have these symptoms from exposure in a water-damaged building. So therefore, their claim is denied. So it's really, it's done. I, I can't even tell you how many people's lives I know have been devastated over this false concept in policy. First of all, they're sick and they, they can't get treatment from any of the mainstream doctors because the mainstream doctors are being taught that, that the moldy buildings don't cause this. And then second of all, not only can they not get help from the doctors, they can't get any restitution for their injuries. Um, no, you know, no workers' compensation. So what happens is a lot of times they and their families end up um, on social services in order to survive, social security disability and food stamps. And um, so the taxpayer is the one who ended up paying for this fraud and policy. Hmm. Um, and it's been just, it, it's, it's been a horrible fight to get rid of it. Um, and I'm so glad that it's finally gone. Now we're at a turning point where the physicians need to be educated. No, that's not true. That it's proven toxic mold doesn't harm. Yes. These people are having these symptoms. Um, and, and it's physical in causation and, um, and, and to do that now, to get doctors trained, should be so much easier now that the ACON mode statement's out of policy. Let me come back to that in a moment. That was I kind wanna... of a long answer, wasn't that, it? <laughs> <laughs> it works for me. It, you, you answered a lot. And I want to come back to two things. First, is, is Dr. Hodgson, is it H-O-D-G-S-O-N? Is that close? Yes. Okay. Michael Hodgson. Michael Hodgson. He, is he still... He, is he still with, is it OSHA? Uh-huh. Okay. OSHA. And, and the second one is, how did you get, how did you become interested initially in this issue, and when? Well, I really didn't anticipate that I would be in this issue this long. I um, We had a leak in an ice maker line in late 2001 in, in our house, and the remediators, um, didn't know what they were doing, basically, and they blew this stuff. They cross-contaminated our house, and the lab gave a uh, false clearance on it, and I have a daughter that has cystic fibrosis and aspergillosis, so she's susceptible to, to mold. It can really hurt her. So they gave us this false clearance, and we moved back in our house, and within three days, she was experiencing symptoms, um, I got really sick um, and was diagnosed with hypersensitivity pneumonitis, um, and so we couldn't go home. And all we wanted was our insurer to fix our house so we could go home again. Instead, they ended up suing us for not accepting $30,000. Um, we countersued them and ultimately received a settlement of, from all three of the cross defendants for close to a half a million dollars. 
um, um, you know, they, and, and this is important to understand. I never made any claims of being ill from toxic mold, no mycotoxins. My illness was diagnosed as a um, immunological illness, and my daughter's was with the cystic fibrosis. The, um, as I go through the history of this issue, you'll understand why that's important. Okay. So we received a half a million dollar settlement. Um, I could have moved on from this issue, but I have a degree in marketing. And as I, it, it was easy for me to see, wait a minute, there's something not right here. There's a disconnect between what people are really experiencing out here and what's being sold to the doctors and in policy. So I started, you know, tracing it back. Where Where is that disconnect? Because when, if you're selling something and it's fraudulent, somewhere in all this stuff out here that's being marketed is the key to where it is. So I could have moved on in 2003. And my family was fine and um, we, were, we bought another house. We sold our old house with full disclosure to some people that we knew who was a contractor. Um, but I didn't because I could see there were, but primarily it was the children that got me in um, this issue, the children living in low-income um, housing um, where their, their mothers were, you know, they couldn't get any help for their kids. The doctors wouldn't listen and so I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to go to Washington and I'll tell them there's a problem and surely they'll fix it. And that was <laughs> in 2004. And um, the journey that it took me on um, for exposing how they mass-marketed this fraud has been, in some ways, it's been horrible, um, it, truly horrible. All the bad things that have been said about me, all the names I've been called, all the... Um, you know, the hardships of my family, the, um, but in some ways it's been good. I've learned an awful lot about, um, human nature and how, um, concepts are relayed within an issue that's highly contentious and people have problems going. And so anyway, that's how I got into it. I had a leak in an ice maker line. We got a half a million dollar settlement. I could have gotten out, but I stayed because I could see that people weren't understanding there was a false concept being marketed that was harming so many. And let's let's not leave people with the wrong impression. Since then, you've drained that financial resource, and a big part of that was fighting this whole issue. Right. It completely drained our finances, and... Um, yeah, we're jumping ahead a little bit. Yeah, let's but. go back. I, I just want to make sure I got that up front. Let's go back and go through this summary of, of the history of the toxic mold issue. Okay, I'll run through that. I'll run through it really quick because I'd, I'd like to I'd like to talk more about the positive of where we go from here. So I'm going to go through this real fast. Um, and, you know, we changed construction standards in the 70s to increase energy efficiency and um, um, we started using more man-made materials that wick water easily and so what happened was we created these envelopes that um, made it easy for biocontaminants to grow when water is added um, you know molds and other um, bacteria and um, 
So anyhow, so people started getting sick and and couldn't understand what was happening to them. And as the years went by, there became more people who were sick. And then the with the advent of the internet, people started putting two two, two and two together. Oh yeah, I, that happened to me too. This happened there. So. Um, there was Melinda Ballard, the late Melinda Ballard, I think I always credit her with really bringing it to the forefront of um, that these buildings are causing serious illnesses. And um, what happened, Melinda was very outspoken, and she got a $32 million jury um, verdict, which I, most people don't realize this, but she never actually got any of the money. Um but she did raise awareness, and so, you know, for every action, there is an opposite and equal reaction. She just sent fear through the um, insurance industry, including the workers' comp and property casualty. So around 2000, you know, this, things were getting into courts a lot. There was a lot of mold litigation, and everybody was an instant expert on <laughs> what yeah. caused what and what didn't cause what, and... Um, <laughs> and so um, to shut down the liability for the litigation, um, in 2002, the American College of Occupational and Environmental Medicine brought in an old tobacco scientist, expert defense witness, Bruce Kelman, and his business partner, Brian Harden, who had just retired as a deputy director of NIOSH and was starting his second career as an expert witness in mold litigation. So they brought them in along with Dr. Andrew Saxon, an immunologist from UCLA. And the three men were making money as expert defense witnesses. So they wrote this position statement that ACOM uh, legitimized to be science policy. And um, what, what they did, Mr. Kelman and Mr. Harden applied math extrapolations to a single rodent study and professed it was proven highly unlikely at best that mycotoxins, which inferring all, you know, uh, biotoxins in a water damaged building could ever reach a level to harm. So, you know, that went out and it started getting used in every court case. So these sick people were getting no help from the doctors. They were um, no help in, in policy, no help in the courts because the courts were relying on this medical association's projection that this was science. In 2003, Mr. Harden and Mr. Kelman accepted no less than $25,000 from the Manhattan Institute uh, Center for Legal Policy to publish a position paper or a white paper for the United States Chamber of Commerce Institute for Legal Reform. In that paper, they claimed that their little extrapolations applied to one math study had proven thus the notion toxic mold is an insidious secret killer is a result of trial lawyers, uh, media hype, and junk science. So then the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, which of course, you know, they're the largest business lobbyist organization in the United States, um, on July 17, 2003, they held a fanfare presentation in Washington, D.C., um, um, Congressman Gary Miller from California, who's a, a developer, was the keynote speaker, and they presented this paper like it was the gospel of 
science that all these poor people were liars. And it went out to the, um, the real estate industry, the insurance industry, the mortgage industry, the building industry. And I have it under oath from Mr. Kelman stating that the reason they wanted him and Dr. Harding to write that paper was they wanted something they could share with judges. So they they did this to market it, market this fraud to the courts that all these poor people were liars. And here's another thing, too. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce, it's called the Scientific View of the Health Effects of Mold. It cites um, Andrew Saxon as a co-author of that paper. Dr. Saxon has claimed under oath that he didn't author it. But because his name is on the paper, it also made it appear that um, a physician affiliated with the U.S. or with the University of California had co-authored this paper that claimed to prove all these illnesses were joke science. So that was 2003, and you know the litigation went on, and people were still getting sick and not getting any help. And after that paper came out, they were treated worse than ever by the medical community. I mean, just, it, it, it was horrible for them. They, you know, go to their doctor seeking help, fearful for these weird symptoms they and their children were having. And um, their doctors, many doctors, were just downright hateful to these people, um, you know, giving them, you know, under the concept that they were just trying to scam their insurer or their hypochondriacs or so people bounced around from doctor to doctor to doctor looking for help. Some found it in um, some of the more alternative medicine doctors, but some never found it, and lives have been permanently ruined over this issue because of it. So do you want me to continue on? Well, let me, let me ask if you were going to include this, because about the same time, insurance companies nationwide, you know, they... They changed policies. They went around to the states and and got permission to change policies to exclude the coverage of mold. Where now it's either excluded altogether or it's capped. Was that something you were right. going to cover? Okay. Yeah, that, I I wasn't going to really go into that, but yeah, they got it excluded. So you know, people had um, water losses that the that then they excluded the mold that came from it. Um, but, you know, I don't think, well, anyway, but I, I do believe that um, that put the IAQ people in a horrible position of um, trying to remediate these water losses and not being able to, by using the M-word mold. I mean, you know more about that than I do, what a horrible thing that cost for the IAQ industry, I think. It, it made things difficult, absolutely, and, and it still does to this day. Cliff and I just looked at a job this week. Cliff, that you know, there's a cap, $10,000. She's got to remediate a home that's um, been overtaken, essentially, by mold. Yeah, but mold right. in, that, in that situation, Joe, I think we both know it's a form of secondary damage. You know, they ended up having a steam leak, and unfortunately, they were out of town at the time. And you know, the steam just ran and ran and ran. So, yep. Um, you know, I think it's definitely water loss. With mold is 
against secondary damage from it. Right, and that's where the the question comes, and and it makes it difficult, more difficult for IAQ people. So I agree, Sharon. Yeah, it's um, so with the ACON mold statement being sunset in February, I I think it should help the IAQ industry too. In that, you know, if things aren't done properly. Um, during a uh, water loss, repair of a water loss, and somebody gets really sick, it's going to be um, easier to for people to establish that it's the not proper care of the water loss that they got so sick. And so that increases the liability for the insurer if they don't pay for a proper remediation to be done. So, I, I, I mean, I, you know, I, like everything in this issue, nothing changes tomorrow and there'll be contention along the way. But I, I really think in the long run, the physician education that these illnesses are real is going to help everybody in this issue. Um, and does that make sense to you? Or um, uh, Yeah, it does. And, and it, I think we've got about a minute left before halftime. And I just wanted to, if you could take, I mean, we don't have to go right in a minute, but you stopped kind of at 2003. Were there any other key events that you wanted to mention between 2003 and, let's say, you know, 2010? Oh, my gosh. Many. Yeah. Okay. 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 I, let me go. 2004, the Institute of Medicine came out with the Damp Indoor Spaces and Health Report, and um, that said, basically it said you can't take a rat study, apply some math, and so you've proven nobody's sick. So that should have shut down the fraud, but it didn't shut it down. It just kept on going in policy. Um, 2005, I wrote about how they marketed it between ACOM and the um, U.S. Chamber of Commerce, how they marketed this stuff into policy. And um, I described Mr. Kelman um, obfuscating on the witness stand while having to discuss this. Well, the, the courts frame me for libel, suppress the evidence he committed perjury to establish malice, falsified court documents, then tried to shut me up of what they did, wanted me to sign a false confession. So that's mine. I'm headed there. But in, 2000, in 2006, uh, Senator Kennedy's Health Education Labor and Pension Committee um, ordered a federal audit of this issue. In 2007, they deleted from the audit looking into who had the conflicts of interest. Um, do I still have time in the minute? Go ahead, or should go I keep ahead. on going? Let's go to 2010, then we'll break. Okay. Um, if I go up to 2010, by this time, you know, they had confused so much stuff here and there that I, I, I'm not quite sure why they did it, but this group that were advocates of Global Indoor Health Network put out a paper saying that it was proven 50% of the world's illnesses were caused by indoor air quality. That was their position paper. And it's like, wait a minute, you can't do that. That That is not correct. What your reference actually said is one out of five environmental illnesses are caused by poor indoor air quality. So that's just indicative of how twisted this issue has gotten over the years. And um, that 2015 
things have changed. And when we come back, I want to talk about the positive side of this issue right. and where we go from here. Let's do that. We're going to break and thank okay. our sponsors. Take about 90 seconds. We'll be back with the second half of our interview with Sharon Kramer. We're talking about the political history of the toxic mold issue. The Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit, multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions. We use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Check them out at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors, John Don Products, or Restoration and Abatement Contractors Shop. Visit them at johndon.com. Clean Facts, the number one information source for cleaning and restoration professionals. Check them out at cleanfactswithanx.com. IAQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at IAQ.net. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you acquire about their products services okay let's we're back with the second half we got sharon kramer and sharon i don't want to jump too quick to 2015 because there may have been some other key points you 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 may want to bring out what year did you get the uh, article in the wall street journal that was 2007 um well i started in 2006 i i had written this paper um and it was the most wonderful paper I've ever written, most eloquently written. It was the best ever because I had somebody who edited heavy for me that's much <laughs> smarter than I am. So my name was on the paper, but it actually, I've always felt kind of like um, somebody else deserved a lot of credit for that one. So anyhow, it caught the attention of the Wall Street Journal and uh, article. Uh, David Armstrong, an investigative reporter and he came to my house in 2006, downloaded my files. That was in May of 2006. And then 2007 is when he came out with a front page article about the, um, about the ACOM mold statement and the impact it was having on litigation. And to quote Dr. Harriet Amman from that article, she nailed it when she said they took an assumption based upon an assumption based upon an assumption and jumped to the conclusion there was nothing there. So it's been a tough battle because not only did ACOM, ACOM did this in 2002, they put out this phony baloney science and um, the U.S. Chamber spun it further in 2003. In 2006, the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology allowed Dr. Saxon and a couple others to write their position paper and what they did, they parroted the ACOM statement. Um, that paper also cites false authorship of Dr. Jay Portnoy from Kansas City Children's Hospital. He, he did not co-author that paper. Dr. Dr. Portnoy um, has done a lot to bring um, attention to the um, pulmonary problems with ch that children have from mold. So 
people need to know he didn't co-author that paper. They put his name on it. And you can also... The American um, College of Medical Toxicology um, had two... Um, Kelman and Harden are the owners of this company called Veritas. Um, the American College of Medical Toxicology put out their mold position statement. It was authored by Dr. Daniel Sudikin and um, Kirk is his last name. Sudikin was working for Veritox as an expert defense witness in mold litigation at that time. And Kirk was um, a medical review officer for the state of Texas. Um, I, I don't know what else he did, but I know that um, he made money as an expert witness in uh, a Texas mold claim by uh, saying the worker could not have been injured by mold, and then he cited his paper, the ACMT paper, which was based on Quad AIs, which was based on ACOMs in the U.S. Chamber. So um, Quad AI was the first one. They sunset their mold position statement, I think it was 2011. Um, and the... the um, Immunologists have actually, they've done a, a very good job of increasing awareness of the asthma and um, allergy aspect of mold, but the toxic components that are the really most devastating, well, not always most devastating, but some of the most devastating aspects um, have remained untreated until recently. Okay, so that kind of gets us up to speed except for I want to clarify with people that you, you had that slap lawsuit against you and in the announcement we noted that you spent two nights in jail over that and uh, what year was that Sharon? That was 2012. First okay. the courts framed me for libel. They suppressed the evidence Kelman committed perjury to manufacture reason for malice. He, he, this reason he gave for that I would have malice for him. He was an expert witness in my mold case a long time ago and um, in the slap suit, he claimed, I testified the types of non-mold in the Kramer house could not have caused the illnesses she claimed. And his attorney wrote, apparently furious that the science conflicted with her dreams of a remodeled home, Kramer launched into an obsessive campaign to destroy the reputation of Dr. Kellman. Well, first of all, Kellman never testified to that. He's a toxicologist. The only thing he can testify to is probability of toxicity, which we made no claims of that. And second of all, I got a half a million dollar settlement. I never said any harsh word about him. So the court, well, you had you, you know, had hypersensitivity. Court, you had hypersensitivity pneumonitis, correct? And that wouldn't be a toxicological issue, as I understand it. Right, it's not, and we never. My illness wasn't even really part of the lawsuit because all we wanted to do, we just wanted them to fix our house so we could go home. And because my daughter had cystic fibrosis, it was known that the risk to the house was higher than um, it would be for the general population. So that, you know, that's basically why they settled with us was um, because it was, it, what happened what proved our case was we had a, a mold, an airborne mold test done before they started remediating, and then um, one after we went home and were still sick, and the, mold spore, the airborne mold spore count was twice as high after they were done as when they started. So that proved the cost of cross-contamination. Okay. But, um, 
And then you, you this, anyway. let's let's get the slap lawsuit real quick. I just I want to refer people to the show we did with you on that, so that we don't have to you know go back through that one today, and they can go back and listen to that show because right. you were essentially um, not willing to retract the statement that you made, and you 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 know stood by your. No, they- uh, Go ahead. They framed me for libel, and then they wanted me to sign a false confession of being guilty for the um, for um, altered his under oath statements. Those are the only words I've ever been sued for. And had I signed a false confession, it would have absolved all this crime that went on in this, this lawsuit that aided this fraud to continue. In 2005, the courts had acknowledged the evidence that Mr. Kelman was lying to establish a reason for malice. Um, this whole fraud would have been shut down two, uh, 10 years ago, 2005. It would have been acknowledged as a slap suit. And um, so anyhow, it's been, it's been interesting. The stakes have been high, and I'm still standing, and I'm still going, and I'm... Um, you know, there there is going to be further litigation over this. Um, so that's where we are on that. But I don't really want to talk about me. Okay. In this issue, I, I want to talk about I want to talk about where we go from here now that the ACOM mold statement is gone. Um, if we could. Yeah, let's get Z. I know Cliff has a question, and I've kind of not given him a chance to jump in. Yeah, I, I guess Sharon. Over the trials and tribulations that that you've had, have you had one legal counsel that's kind of been with you, you know, kind of understood your position, you know, was sympathetic and, you know, has kind of helped you through this? Or have you just had to change from one attorney to another, you know, at each turn in the road? No, I had two attorneys. We had, um, well, actually I had three because I had two in my mold lawsuit that worked together and then one of them continued on in the slap suit but he wasn't really a slap attorney so I switched different attorneys so I really only had two different attorneys um it cost me everything I owned to defend the truth my words and um and so by about 2008 I couldn't afford an attorney anymore and to be quite honest with you I I you know, I really like my all my attorneys that I've had. They're very um, nice men and, and honorable men. But when the courts start falsifying documents, um, there are things that need to be said that no attorney is going to say to the court if they want to practice again. So some of it has been trial and error for me and things that I should have known about legal aspects that I didn't because I'm doing it on my own. But part of it, um, I don't think the outcome would have been any different if I'd had attorneys representing me. And I've even had attorneys tell me, I'd like to help you, but I'm, you know, I, I have a family to feed. I've got a career to take care of. Um, so anyway, uh, well, I, you know how I am. I, I'll just keep on going. I'm not above getting it done myself. I'll do it. <laughs> and you, so, well, well, how did we get to where we are now, Sharon? What What do you think? What, in your mind, what what ended up being the final reason for this statement going away? Um, 
I think that the reason was is because it was getting knocked out of court a lot, to be quite honest with you. They thought it wasn't you know, worth having it up there anymore, the contention anymore. After all the, um, you know, like the Wall Street Journal article and then people understanding that the ILM report actually discredited it and then, um, um, you know, several of the, just a lot more research coming out on um, the chronic fatigue syndrome and mycotoxins and, um, but the, the number one, and I think did it. I think it was Dr. Michael Hodgson who did it. I mean, people think I'm tenacious. I think that that man is more, far more tenacious than I am. You know, he offered to help rewrite it, and um, they kept telling him, "Yeah, yeah, we'll do it, we'll do it." And then they never did it. And so finally, he kept up on him, and they said, "Yeah, we're going to sunset it. It's not worth the trouble," is how I understand it. What they said. All right, now you wanted to get some positive things out. Let's go to that, Sharon. What are the positive things here for today, and where do we go from here? Well, the positive things are, I mean, it's extremely, people don't realize what a good year 2015 have been for the environmentally injured in general because they don't follow the background to it. But what's happened in the United States um, in the early 2000 was there was a lot of false science going around that would deem these people who were having you know chronic illnesses after environmental exposures were just being trained deemed as um, kooks. There, there have been a lot of suicides over this issue, not even so much just because of the illness, but just because of the disdain these people have been treated with and the loneliness. So this is what happened. Okay, ACON's mold statement came down in uh, February of 2015. It's gone from policy that it's proven toxic mold doesn't harm. Um, the Lyme disease community, they were suffering a lot of the same thing. The Infectious Disease Society of America had developed, some guy from there developed this funky little test with the National Institute of Health that said, oh, you know, no, Lyme disease can't last that long. So now... That that was a while back, and I don't necessarily remember. They um, got threatened with a racketeering suit by Elliot Spitzer. Spitzer? Spitzer. Whatever his name is. Anyhow, so that's now gone, and the Lyme disease people, it's being acknowledged that, yeah, these people are having physical illnesses. They're not mentally ill, crazy people claiming some unknown illness. And then just this last week, the National Institute of Health came out with... Um, a report on chronic fatigue syndrome, who those people have been deemed malingerers and, you know, liars, just lazy people. Um, so I want to read to you what the NIH report said, and I'm, I'm very pleased with this. It says, um, although psychological repercussions, i.e. depression, may accompany the CFS, chronic fatigue syndrome, it's not primarily a psychological disease and etiology. Um, both society and the medical profession contributed to CFS patients feeling disrespected and rejected. They are often treated with skepticism, uncertainty, and apprehension, and labeled as um, deconditioned or having a primary psychological disorder. CFS patients often make an um, 
extraordinary efforts at extreme personal and physical costs to find a physician who will correctly diagnose and treat their symptoms while offering uh, uh, while others are treated inappropriately, causing additional harm. Overall, the debilitating effects of CF, CFS can result in financial instability due to the consequences of the illness, i.e. loss of employment, home, economic bur- uh, the economic burden is estimated between 2 and $7 billion. CFS results in major disability for a large portion of the people affected. So just to get that information out to the medical community that no people injured in moldy buildings are not hysterical liars. No people suffering from Lyme disease long-term are not hysterical liars. No people with chronic fatigue syndrome are not hysterical liars. Just to get that information to the doctors will go um, a long way towards acknowledging these illnesses are real and, um, and, and will advance the medical understanding of it. Once the medical understanding is advanced, then the liability becomes greater to ignore uh, taking care of a moldy building. And So that's... I, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I, I was wondering because you say you're obviously you're passionate about better education for the medical doctors, and I, th- I think it's, you know, slowly they're seeing that, hey, there's something to this, and that, uh, but, but the problem is, at least the way I see it, they still aren't sure exactly what, why this is occurring, and then there are various um, theories on how to treat people with these injuries. Is that what your people are running into? Yeah, there's a lot of different ways to treat this, um, and but it's the main, like the doctors in the Pediatric Environmental Health Specialty Units and the Association of Occupational and Environmental Clinics. Those are the doc, those are the medical associations that get funding from the CDC to educate physicians that these, uh, I think there's 28 of them that are medical schools around the country. So... There are the doctors that have to be reached, to, and first of all, that they understand these illnesses are real. Then there are physicians that are making progress with how to diagnose and treat these. Unfortunately, they're not the same doctors that influence the public health policy. Um, there are those that follow Dr. Shoemaker's protocol for treating biotoxin illnesses. A lot of the um, Physicians from the American um, AAEM, American Academy of Environmental Medicine, they're treating them uh, in a more natural way. Um, physicians associated with the functional medicine, um, I don't know that you call it movement, I don't know. Those doctors are um, becoming more educated as how to treat these illnesses. And um, so their education is growing about how to take care of it. The mainstream doctors' educations are growing about the illnesses existing. And I think it's just a matter of time before things are um, policy of, of how to do it. But, you know, but before, before mainstream doctors can learn how to treat um, an illness, they first have to realize that 
the illness exists. And so that that's why 2015 has been such a good year for the environmentally injured. It's becoming common knowledge that, yeah, these, these are physical symptoms. They're not mental illnesses. Well, I guess it's Can also... Did I ask you it, question? Would you ask me? <laughs> it did. It did. And I think it also um, will lead doctors to ask the question, have you lived in a water damaged building? Do you know if you have water damage in your current home or workplace? And then there are people who can come in and assist with fixing the moisture problem and then cleaning up any of the contamination. So in that way, I think it'll help. So I I agree with you there. Um, I guess my question is for you, where do you go from here? Well, I'm in the process of, I'm writing a book right now, um, and what it's about, it's tied to the history of this issue, but it's it's also how, the the main, it's how corruption and bias in the courts aided this false science to continue in policy for so long, just to the book. Um, I have more litigation in front of me, which I hate that. Um, you know, all I did was say, you can't take a rat study, add some math, and say nobody's sick. And it's already taken 11 years of my life and everything I own to not shut up. So there's that aspect. But then, you know, I have, um, I have a lot of family things on the agenda and a lot of fun things going and So the future is bright. Uh, Cliff, let me get it over to you. Yeah. Um, Sharon, do we still have you? Uh-oh. I had a feeling she dropped for some reason. That maybe the phone died on her. Let's uh, give her a second to get back in. Cliff, do you have a comment or a question? Well, my question that I was going to ask her was whether or not um, any of the people involved with you know the corruption and the fraud uh, have paid a price for it you know whether any of them have been prosecuted uh, you know perhaps lost their license uh, you know, to practice you know medicine law whatever all right well, let's, let's unfortunately it, it, I think we've lost her based on what the board says Joe Let's go to the roundup, and hopefully Sharon will dial back in. We're going to play the roundup music. We're going to bring on the watchdog, and uh, we might have one person in the queue, too. Vanessa, if you still wanted to ask a question or make a comment, we'll bring you up, too. Move him on, hit him up, hit him up, move him on, move him on, hit him up, raw high. Cut him out, ride him in, ride him in, let him out, cut him out, ride him in, raw All right. It looks like we've got Sharon back and we've got the watchdog on. Let's get uh Hello. Okay, we got you back, Sharon. All right. Hey, we we just went to the roundup. I brought Pete Consigli on. Pete, do you have any questions or comments for Sharon? Well, first of all, I really uh, enjoyed listening to the history and quite frankly it was for me and I think for Cliff too, I could probably speak for both of us. It was a little bit of a walk down memory lane. Um but I, I, there's, there's a lesson to be learned here, and, and this is what it is. Um, you know, any time that you uh, you hurt a mom and you hurt her kids, real or otherwise, and particularly if they happen to be in the marketing business, like uh, 
uh, like Sharon and Melinda Bauer, that is not necessarily a very good thing. <laughs> no <laughs> smart idea. Go ahead, Sharon. I got some comments I want to make, but uh, if you got something you want to say, I kind of took some notes here because I knew I was coming in the roundup and I kind of wanted to dovetail up some of the conversation. Well, I was just going to say, you know, that that is one of the... Um, I feel really fortunate that I got to 45 years in life before I realized that there were people out there that would, for the sake of profit, they would they would hurt little children. And I think that is probably what kept me in this issue was just the shock that this could really happen in the United States. And, but it does. And, and, you know, that's, I, when I actually started advocating in 2004, I, I wrote down a mission statement, and uh, my statement was to teach the doctors how to recognize, diagnose, and treat mycotic diseases. And um, that's been my goal that long, and um, I'm going to finish it. Cliff? Yeah. Well, listen, you know, I think where this issue really first uh, hit the consciousness of the American public was in the mid '90s. Uh, after, uh, well, in the '90s, when after all the the Melinda Bowden stuff, you know, really started hitting the wires. And uh, Sam Donaldson, the ABC show at the time, Prime Time, had done an expose on that whole thing, and they had Eckerd uh, Yohanning in there that actually interviewed um, Melinda and had her husband and her child. I think the child was in there and talking about some of the effects of all of that. And that was a time when the clip of myself and through the association activities that we had back in the day, REA was called ASCR. We had a division called the Waterwells Institute. And we were really back then were, were on the front end um, mm -hmm. of, of, of kind of dealing with all those particular issues with, uh, with Chin Yang, Harriet Amelie, you mentioned Linda Stessenbach was involved with a lot of cutting edge research at, at the university of Las Vegas. Of course, Phil Morey, a lot of information that he was sharing publicly on the Florida cases. And, uh, you know, at that time, shortly after that, when a lot of remediation was going on and the industry was kind of trying to first learn the best practices, um, the insurance industries did change their policies to limit the coverage. And, uh, you know, maybe over time there may be other coverages available, but, you know, those, those obviously are business decisions and they're, they're very controversial. Um, and I think trying to create these causal links was something that, you know, industry and government, the, the different professions have been working on for, for many, many years. But um, you know, one of the big issues really has to do with it's, it's a congressional issue. Depending on, you know, who's got control of the Congress, the presidency determines how much kind of money is budgeted for educational training, such as for, the, you know, Tulsa University and the work that Richard Shaughnessy's done, um, Sue Smith and, and the Merck, Merck organization uh, did, did a lot of training back in the day. You know, so that's it. You know, like uh, Dr. Hodgkins that you talked about, we've had him on the program. You know, he, he obviously is a cutting edge in the occupational physician area with guys like mm -hmm. Edgar, you know, when he was with John Hopkins. Um, but I, I will tell you one thing that was that really uh, caught the insurance industry and the, ge and the general industry um, is when, when, when the Texas uh, jury uh, indicted the adjuster from the uh, from the insurance company, even though it's public record, I won't say who the company was or one of the one of the larger companies. They indicted that actual adjuster for child endangerment, which carries criminal charges. She could have actually been put in jail for, uh, uh, I guess, uh, disallowing or whatever the coverage uh, issue was with the uh, oh. additional living expense. 
And, you know, I think eventually they straightened all that out, and there may have been a political component to that, and there was probably a lot of emotional issues, but that was something, you know, having, you know, being responsible for civil action, money is one thing, but when you get an employee of an insurance company based on an action they took that could potentially put, be put in jail, I think that got people's attention. And shortly after that, what you found that started to happen in the late 90s and right in the early 2000s, the insurance companies really did start to grasp and get a handle on that they needed to understand the when they needed third-party consultants and evaluators and expertise on these different losses. And, uh, you know, I, I think over the years, uh, you know, the, that, that, that change of dynamic, and I think a lot of that really kind of lended uh, to that stuff. But, look, on the positive note, that to end the wrap-up that you're talking about, what's happening now in the last three to five years, for one, you have the AIHA, the Industrial Hygiene Association, and the Indoor Air Quality Association, collaborating on a body of knowledge, which they just published. It's in the early stages of kind of phase one to define, you know, the qualifications of an indoor air quality practitioner that's involved in, you know, doing these investigations, offering expert opinions, and that's overlapping from a lot of different industries. The restoration industry, we're five years into the process to develop our body of knowledge, and uh, it's, uh, it's going through organizational reviews. It's going through open industry peer review. By the time it's published, it'll be, you know, five, between five to six years. That's, that's really big. That means the industry is growing up and maturing. There's all kinds of standards activities besides the IICRC stuff, um, you know, which our, this audience is well known of. There's the fire standards that the uh, REA has been working on with the IEQA, now, of course, under the ASHRAE umbrella. There's a pending infection control standard out there. So there's, there's a lot happening in that. But the really one of the really big ones that oftentimes people are not aware of, and, and of course the listeners of the show are, is the collaboration that the industry has with academia, REA in particular, mm-hmm. disaster people with Purdue, the demolition people. Uh, you know, Cliff, uh, Cliff was on a panel we organized at a global conference last year at Purdue and listened to some of those demolition people talk about the demo contractors that cleaned up uh, at Ground Zero after 9-11. How many of them basically went out of business because the government didn't pay them? It was all public record. And all of the, the health issues that were public record that have been on all these news shows over the last several years of the firefighters and the first responders that weren't properly protected and got all kinds of uh, things. You know, it's on the public, uh, it's on the radar screen now, not only the public, the regulators. And, um, you know, I think it's all about collaboration. We're in the age of collaboration and we need these professions and the governments, insurance companies, you know, the, the, the property management companies that have these buildings that often burden the cost and get involved in these liability claims. You know, in my mind, they have to start talking. There has to be a platform or a venue. That, uh, there's always going to be a motion, but you got to get down to what the real issues are, and let's see how we can solve them. Of course, it's a lot easier said than done, but, you know, in my mind, that's that's kind of what these shows are about, and really, I think, is the goal of IQ Radio yeah. and the media. They, they should be very, they should have integrity and really try to push for that the best they can. So, anyway, I enjoyed uh, listening to you, Sean, and... Uh, well, that's my input from the from the watch trucks church, you know, and a little bit overview and my perspective and where I think things are at. So I'll turn it back to you, Joe Cliff, Sharon. All right. Well, thank you, thank you, Pete and Cliff. Did you have a final question for Sharon? Yeah, I did. The the, the one she missed, uh, Sharon. I just wonder whether or not any of the doctors, the expert witnesses, uh, the attorneys, uh, you know, whether anyone you know paid a price for this fraud? Uh, I, I can't even tell you how many professionals 
have paid a price for this fraud. Um, oh, you mean have they been? Have the ones that did the perpetrator fraud yeah, been? Per- yeah. No, no. To date, no. Um, nothing. No. Um, they've been allowed to continue on, um, and you know, part of it. I hate to say this, but. Um, their science was they were being hired by um, attorneys from the United States Department of Justice to defeat claims of people made sick in uh, military-owned, government-owned buildings. So, um, no, it's it's really a horrible thing, and that part needs to be changed. There needs to be some... Um, I don't really care if anybody's punished. That's not my goal on this, but it does need to come to light what they did while they made all this money. Um, so it doesn't happen in the future and it will help to clear the way for real science. And it will also help to clear the fear of retribution. There are a lot of people who know a lot more than I do even, but they, um, there is a legitimate fear of retribution if you speak out too loudly on some things in this issue. And, you know, I'm going to go back to something that Pete, and what, what you were saying is absolutely right of all the advancements, where we're headed, where we're going. And people, I constantly am complaining about those doctors at ACOM didn't, and those IHQ guys didn't, and, you know, this, this, this. But, um, People need to understand that not all ACON doctors are evil people. There's a lot of people in their org who have been working to help us. The same thing with the Quad AI and even, you know, the government, when people don't get the exact right answer they want right away, they think, oh, those people are just horrible. No, there's, it's, this has taken so much effort on the part of so many honest people to get us to where we are today. And, you know, I recognize that the IAQ industry, in, in a large part, um, their work is paid for by the insurer. Well, if they're making statements that is not policy so far, they're not going to get paid by the insurer. And so I, re- I recognize that you all have had to walk a very fine line sometimes to um, advance this issue and and help us because if it weren't the honorable IAQ guys doing what they can to get things done um, and under the guidelines that insurers will pay for some of it, it would be complete charlatans in there just taking the money and running. So I, I want to make that clear. I, I you know, I, I think that's kind of been my role in this issue. I'm constantly complaining about things not advancing fast enough. But I do recognize and I do appreciate all the hard work and the effort and the sacrifices that many people have made to get us to where we are today. Sharon, I think you kind of maybe answered the last question I had, which was, is is there anything you wanted to add? Um, I don't know if I think we lost Vanessa, so um, we may have to get a question from her by email. My email is joe.hughes, H-U-G-H-E-S, at iaqtraining.com. Any final word from you, Sharon? I'm just, I really think that 2015 is a step in the right direction by um, mainstream medicine acknowledging that these illnesses are real, 
um, these long-term debilitating illnesses are real, I think it's going to cause a lot of things to fall into place. Because when policy changes in um, mainstream medicine, um, that dictates a lot of how problems are handled. Well, so, other than that, it was great talking to you guys again. Always hey, a pleasure. Jeff, Pe- can I weigh in with a, with a final thought here, kind of dovetail? But Sharon dovetail off of me. Can I dovetail back off of Absolutely. her? Absolutely. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, so listen, one of the things, Sharon, you know, you're right there. Look, every industry has people who, who could be quote-unquote hired guns. Um, you know, it doesn't really matter what profession it is. There's some people that will be swayed by client relationships by money. But that being said, more people in the professions really take the code of ethics and conduct that their profession dictates, um, I think, more seriously than the hired guns who are not driven by money. Now, granted, there's a delicate balance. So in the case, uh, like with the industrial hygienists and a lot of them, of CIH types, they're the ones who are doing these reports, might may have relationships with the insurance industries. But if you look at their canons of ethics that they have out there, they're very clear on what their their higher duty is. And if they uh-huh. violate that, and I think they, they violate it, no different than a doctor would or a lawyer that would do something would be unethical or violate that. So possibly something that may be a good part of Cliff's blog for this show is to put the, the public link out there from AIHA, ACGIH, that actually published the Code of Ethics and Conduct is a collaborative one between those two organizations that's out there. They, they revised it uh, a few years back, and they made it more consumer-based, if you would, versus the original professional codes. And, and REA and other organizations have been moving towards that, where they take their professional codes and they try to make them uh, more consumer-based, if you would, um, between the professional codes and, and what they, how they want to serve the public. So I think it's important that we keep that in mind, and I think what I heard you say, Sharon, is, you know, let's not paint everybody with a blood brush. You know, every right. person's got the bad guys, and, of course, I think there's a heck of a lot more of the good guys, and uh, hopefully they, they speak up, uh, you know, when they see things that are wrong and that need to be corrected. So, anyway, I, I think it's been a really it's been a good, good discussion. All right. Me too. I agree with you 100% on your statements. Sharon, thank you so much for joining us. We always appreciate having you. We hope to get you back here and uh, you know, let us know when your book comes out. We'll we'll bring you on and talk about that. Okay, that sounds great. Uh, fantastic. This is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks to today's guest, Sharon Kramer. Of course, to my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick. To the Restoration Industries Global Watchdog, Pete Consigli. To our engineer, John, you gotta have faith. And most importantly, to our growing group of loyal listeners out there, thanks. Come back next Friday. We've got uh, Lou Harriman's coming back on. We're trying to get Laura Kolb also from EPA. Let's see what happens on that. We'll be back next Friday at noon with the next episode of IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production.